Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. Kicking off my show today, the newly minted and appointed governor of the great state of Maryland. That's how we say that, Maryland. Let me welcome the Maryland, one and only. I like that. I like that, Maryland. Maryland. <laughs> Westmore is in the building. Hello there, Mayor, Governor. Excuse me, Governor Moore. Woo. Governor Moore, hi. How are you doing? It is it is such a joy to be with you today. It listen, really is. Listen, um, I've I've admired you from afar ever since the other Westmore, the book, um, and right. all of your scholarly work and all of the amazing work you've done in the community. And you know, when I think of people who are politicians, you know, there's a trajectory. You know, you have you know, the military experience, you got the, you know, the, the troubled youth, you, you got all of the markers, except for one thing. You're like a real dude. You're like legitimately <laughs> down with the, you know, this is not for the gram or for the, for, you know, and no. you might end up being president, but it's going to be on some legit stuff. So I'm, I'm excited. I got to tell you, you know, and it's so funny because first of all, let me just tell you, I've been a fan for you for so long. This is very, very exciting for me. Um, and because, you know, when we talk about what does it mean to uplift community while, you know, uplift and educate community, uh, you have truly been, you've been the pinnacle of that. And so, so this is a blessing. And I, and I tell you, you know, it is something where, you know, I feel like I've been a public servant for my whole life. I just haven't been a politician. And I remember when I first started getting into, when I decided that I was going to run for, that I was going to run for governor, which was, which was a bit odd because I'd never run for office before. I'd never gone, I didn't work my way up a political system. And I remember uh, once I made the decision uh, to, to do this, I remember there was an event, this is a true story. There, I was, I was, there was an event, it was like 95 degrees outside and all the candidates were out there and they were out there in like, you know, ties and button up shirts and all that. And I came out in shorts, and <laughs> short sleeve shirt. And people started like, people like, oh, this guy, he's not taking it seriously. He's not this, he's not that. And it wasn't that like, well, we could speak to the issues as, as well as anyone else. But I was like, but I'm not going to do, I'm not going to play that game. And I remember the speaker of the house, a woman named Adrian Jones, speaker of the house in Maryland, who, who I admire and adore, who, by the way, is the first African-American speaker of the house and the first female speaker in the house in the history of the state of Maryland. She contacted me and she said, uh, she said, uh, you know, I, I know there's a, a lot of, there's a lot of rustling about your appearance at this event. And I explained, I said, yeah, because it was hot. And she said, listen, she said, here's my advice to you. She said, do not spend a second trying to be like them. She said, make them try to be like you. Mm. And if you do that, you're going to win this election. And I never forgot that advice. And she was right. It's like, listen, I have always, I have consistently been of the community, working with the community on these issues. And that's exactly how I have my governance philosophy and how our government plans on moving. And it's also why when you look at the, the pace and the speed that our administration is moving in, I think that has been the that, you know, that's been the fuel behind it all is because this truly is a people power movement that we're trying to inspire. So let's go back to the moment you made that decision. I know you had mm -hmm. to talk to your beautiful family about this. Yeah. What what? <laughs> What was the what was the turning point? What was that road to Damascus moment where you're like, yeah, I'm waiting for somebody to do this, these things. I'm waiting and it, it, things aren't getting done. I'm about to go through your budget in a minute. So I'm 
I guess I'm going to have to, what was the discussion and what was the final, like, yes, okay, I'm going to do this. So, you know, so, you know, professor, there, there definitely wasn't a, a singular moment, but I tell you one thing that was, there was a moment that was really important. I, at my old place, I, I used to, I used to run one of the largest poverty fighting organizations in this country, right? An organization where when I was CEO, just in the time when I was CEO, we, we, we allocated over $600 million going towards best practice organizations, uh, organizations that were on the ground doing the work and making sure that they were funded and scaled. And I remember we were make, trying to make, get a, a former governor at the time, get, getting, uh, getting him to make adjustments to the child tax credit. And the child tax credit, you know, we know is one of the most effective, proven, provenly effective tools that you can use to impact and reduce child poverty. Uh, by making it fully refundable, by paying out monthly instead of annually. So a couple of adjustments you can make that could have a significant impact on child poverty. And we worked for a, a bunch of time to get them in, to include this in the state of the state and in, include in the state of the state speech. Literally, I wrote the line. This is the line you should use during your state of the state to actually make this, you know, help get this thing happen. And I got an advanced copy of the state of the state and I looked and there was nothing in there about the child tax credit. And so I'm a little upset. I call up the head of policy, the uh, you know the, the head of public policy for the organization I ran, and I'm kind of bending. And after I was done with my with my diatribe, he he says to me, he says, "Listen, uh, we worked for six months to try to get them to include a line in the speech." And he said, "What if you could write the whole speech?" Mm. And that was the point. And I think about that in context of last week. I delivered my first state of the state address for the state of Maryland. So we didn't write a line. I wrote the whole speech. Why that matters is you're then able to help to set the direction for how we view these policies, about how we view our humanity, about how you can come up with policies that actually work with the benefit of people in mind, because it's people who are helping to drive the agenda. And I, I think in that, in that time and in that moment where I said, listen, I've been working with lawmakers and we've been trying to do the things that could actually create pathways for work wages and wealth for all families, do the things that can make sure that we're leaving no one behind inside of an agenda. But if you're not in the seat and if you're not helping to craft the agenda, we will repeatedly find ourselves cleaning up the debris that comes from broken systems. And so that I think was the moment um, when you know I went and spoke to my, my amazing wife, who's now the, the first lady of the state of Maryland, and, uh, and said, you know, I, I, think this is, uh, I think this is what we need to do. And what did she say? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because she's, um, uh, listen, that's, this is, that's, my, that's my ride or die. Um, and that is that is my 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 my, my partner in, in, in every single definition of the word, and um, and she actually has more experience in the on the political side than I did because she actually worked. She was uh, a person who's now the Attorney General Anthony Brown when he was uh, when he was the Lieutenant Governor. She was his Chief of Staff. Uh, she worked in in another former administration uh, within the state of Maryland, so she knows the 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 political game. Uh, more than I did. I'm more of a policy person and I'm a policy nerd. Like I love the details of the policy and that kind of thing. And, uh, and so she said, she's like, listen, uh, to be clear, this is what 
this is going to mean for you, for our family, for your personal life, for all this kind of stuff. But I remember there was one time kind of where, where it was like, um, uh, it was kind of in the heat of the campaign. And when we started 1%, we started when nobody thought we had a shot of winning this thing. And I'd say probably around April of last year, like all of these attacks started happening and the lies and this and all the, all the, all the stuff that people hate about politics started coming, right? And I remember uh, uh, one morning, woke up and of course, you know, your name is Plasma on some foolishness. And my wife comes to me and she puts her hands on my face and she looked me right in my eyes and she says, it's because you're winning. She said, and I'm looking at her I'm like, I'm not, I don't know what poll you're looking at. That's <laughs> we're winning because there wasn't a poll that was saying that all the polls are saying we're moving and moving fast, but not one that's saying we're winning. But I trusted her because she's like, I know this game. And she says, no one talks about someone they're not worried about. Right. No one does that. And she's like, it's because you're winning. Keep going. And that truly was. Uh, a fuel that helped us to keep going in that moment. Listen, the the first family of Maryland, first of all, is beautiful. But <laughs> what you just said, I already knew because you can tell in the dynamics of, you know, how y'all navigate each other in public, and you know, I ain't been with y'all in private, so I just I'm just watching that, <laughs> and I'm and no, but it, it's refreshing because you know I sit here every day frustrated because right now Ohio uh, people are navigating. Uh, horrors that I, I believe are man-made. You know, this is not natural for this truck to spill this toxic um, energy into the air and the water. And then for the government of Ohio to tell them nothing to see here while the fish are dying, like the fish in the river, Ohio river are floating. That's going to turn into something. You know, if you're governor of a state, that's on you. The governor of Michigan that decided to change the water from Flint, you know, from the clean water that Flint was even with the bad pipes, but changed the water uh, space for the people in Flint that now have still are dealing with the lead. Uh, Mississippi, you know, and I can go state to state where people are at the mercy of a state government or Florida you know, where the state government's making decisions about education, you know, for all of the children there, right? The legislature, it, it is frustrating when you live somewhere and the people that are elected, maybe you didn't show up to vote because you feel like politicians don't do anything. So, so for you sitting in that seat, I'm looking at your budget. We're going to go through the $63 billion that you've put forth uh, in a second, yes. but what is your primary goal? You know I mean, this is the first year. So you also got to, take somebody else's baggage because things don't happen in real time. Like you were winning, even though the polls didn't say it because like bamboo, the roots were happening. The roots That's were right. being <laughs> finding their way while, you know, the, the stalk comes up, you know, while the real heart of it. So, so what is it that is important for you this first year to get done? Yeah. Well, you know, so when we, we brought into, and we entered into this with what we call a, a leave no one behind agenda. And, and the leave no one behind agenda was really about this idea. And it's something I learned when I was in the military. I was 17 years old when, uh, when I first joined the military. And in our first days, they taught us a slogan, leave no one behind. Um, and it wasn't something that just became a, a mantra. It really became a value statement. 
And now, as people will see when they enter into the state of Maryland, you know, it literally says Westmore governor, leave no one behind. It is our state's new mission. And so we really have a priority when you look at our budget is that how are we making sure that all communities in our society have a chance to have pathways for work, wages and wealth for all families and not just some. And so that means there we put together a, a heavy emphasis, <clears throat> excuse me, a heavy emphasis on things like education. We made the single largest investment in public education in the history of the state of Maryland, in the history of the state. We put together a budget that focuses on transportation because I'm a, I'm a big believer in this idea. You cannot have economic mobility if you don't have physical mobility. And I think we have made decisions, intentional decisions in the history of our state, in the recent history of our state, to include what happened, uh, what happened about seven years ago when we decided that the red line, which takes place, which is a, 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 a transit line in Baltimore, uh, that would have significantly enhanced transit from communities that needed it to be able to move communities that need that that need to have access to move them to where opportunity lives. And the decision was to kill that project. And by the way, uh, an intentional decision to return close to a billion dollars to the federal government saying that we don't need that money. And I'm thinking to myself, who doesn't need that money? Who returns a billion dollars, though? Like billion dollars because the people who live in the communities, they needed the money. And they needed the investment. And so we made we made a half a billion dollar investment just from the stakeholders to be able to focus on transportation assets and moving people from where they live to where opportunity lies. But the beautiful thing that we wanted to show people is we could make historic investments in education, and historic investments in transportation. We could increase substance abuse disorder investments and mental health investments. And we made mental health investments in the state to the tune of $1.4 billion. Mm -hmm. We increased substance abuse disorder treatments and supports for that and increased it by a 39% increase uh, year on year. We, in addition to that, we created an entire department that's focusing on service and civic innovation. And we are going to be the first state in this country that offers a service year option for all high school graduates. Now, we did that, but also, so we're talking ambitious and bold investments. And at the same time, do you know what we also did? We have $200 million in tax cuts. I got it. I got it right here. You got it, right? We also have 10% in the rainy day fund. So we showed you can be bold and ambitious, but that doesn't mean being reckless, that we can actually have a budget that advances the needs for people and at the same time being able to prepare if there are eventual downturns that we as a state have to be able to weather as well. With the limited time that I have with you and I want to give you an open seat, please come back anytime uh, because I'm super grateful that, uh, first of all, you you accepted our invitation, but also that we have to have these conversations with people that we send to office because y'all work for us, not the other way around there. There has to be a different way in which we treat the folk who are public servants, which is what you naturally are. You're not kings. You're not, you know, and and you're not, uh, you know, using us to get to the next place as a stepping stone, but you're there to serve. So we need to have access to talk. I want to spend time with two areas. First, childhood poverty, um, which you have invested um, a lot in your budget to uh, eradicate that or address it. um, First, raising the minimum wage. But I, I, I asked this question as somebody that had his life uh, inextricably changed when your father um, made transition unexpectedly when you were very young and then your mom had to make some decisions moving to the Bronx and then you got in trouble and, you know, and, and 
that is the basis of the other, other West more a man with your same name, a young person didn't have the same opportunities and your paths went like this. And I was talking yesterday with child psychiatrist, with, with, you know, child with a psychiatrist and a person that does, does social work with children and black children don't get to be children. Black children don't get to make mistakes. Black children do not have the luxury to have affluenza or for a judge to say, oh, you know, boys will be boys at Stanford. And I was on the Stanford team, too. So, you know what? I don't want to ruin your life. They ruin our lives. You know, Governor Westmore, in your policy, how do you address that? And how do we bring childhood back to the kids growing up in Maryland? You know, I... um one of the things that we that we did and we and we worked on and in, uh, in research was, you know, back in 2015, you had the incident with uh, with Freddie Gray, who died in police custody. And, you know, one of the points that I, I, I made and I still think about a lot to this day is um, we spend a whole lot of time appropriately. So talking about what happened to Freddie in his last moments uh, of life. I said, but um, we also need to spend time what happened to him in the first 25 years of his life, too, where, you know, that, that even if you just look at his journey, this was a young man who was uh, who was born premature and underweight. Uh, his mother battled addiction for much of her life. Uh, and so he was exposed to heroin before he even was born. Um, by the time that he by the time that, you know, he was born underweight and by the time he'd, uh, he'd gained enough weight to be able to leave the hospital, they moved into a housing project in West Baltimore that in 2000, uh, that in 2009 was actually filed in a, in a uh, civil lawsuit because of the endemic levels of lead that was inside of the home. We've known that lead is a neurotoxin in this country for a century. We've just been very color and class coded in the way that we dealt with it. And the thing that always got me about, you know, his journey was... This was a young man who was born premature, underweight, born into poverty, exposed to heroin and lead poisoned. And by the way, when that happened, he was two years old. So when people say, well, people who are born into poverty and children who are born into poverty, they just need to work harder. And that's the danger of the single story, right? Where it's like, well, this person did it. So why doesn't everybody do it? If people say this, why don't they just work harder? How hard would have Freddie had to have worked? to be able to overcome what he had to overcome before he was even old enough to start making decisions for himself. And so the agenda that we pull together, when we say we need to have a concerted and a bipartisan approach to be able to end child poverty in the state of Maryland, I mean it. And that's why with our budget, you see things like, you know, we call for uh, the enhanced earned income tax credit to be able to support working families because there should never be a reason that you have individuals who are working, in some cases working multiple jobs and still living at or below a poverty line. That we call for the extension and making permanent the child tax credit because we know that's one of the most effective tools to both address child poverty and also the racial wealth gap at the same time. That we call for accelerating a $15 minimum wage and also indexing it to inflation. And it's both because it is the most effective way of actually creating a measure of, of financial support for working families. And again, we're talking about people who are working and still living at or below a poverty line. And not to mention the fact that it's actually going to be, and data continues to show, a jolt to our larger economy because what ends up happening is when you support working families financially, what do they do? They spend. And they're gonna put the money right back into the economy. 
And so these are all things that we show, that we, that we, that we say, I mean, these are data-driven solutions that are going to have a direct impact on something that should be breaking all of our hearts. And that is the amount of children who are coming up in our society who, who, who decisions are being made about their future before they even have a chance to have a part in that conversation. And that's why our policies are really a core reflection of how we think about pathways for economic growth. It's why so many of the initiatives that we pull together and why we're working in partnership, for example, with the federal government. We just had a had a you know had a, an initiative around the around the Frederick Douglass Tunnel, uh, which is going to increase high speed you know rail traffic and consistency to get from the Baltimore region to Washington D.C. And I tell people one of the most important things about that partnership that we just that we just announced with President Biden is this: that's thirty thousand jobs, thirty thousand good paying, reliable, sustainable union jobs. These are things that we've got to be able to push forward if this is going to be Maryland's decade. And I'm convinced it's going to be Maryland's decade. It is. But it's going to be because we are going to focus on making sure that every single Marylander, every Marylander is not just, you know, a part, is not just subject of a conversation, but is part of the conversation. 8.8 billion investment in education. I, this is my thing. Education is everything. I think the system across the country is broken. Um, I want to, I want you to come back and have this conversation because you are a product of a good education. Riverda- Riverdale, very good. Of course, you went off to military school because you were acting up. Uh, Road <laughs> Scholar, I don't even know what that means, except I know a lot of people like Rachel Maddow and others have them. I guess that means you're really smart, you know. But I, I feel like the education system was never designed for low income. It was designed just to give people enough education to not be savages, to be able to vote. But it wasn't really designed for people to excel. But you have constituents on the line. And the benefit of having a live broadcast is that people could call in. So I want people who voted for you to be able to talk with you. So let's go first to Merlin. didn't vote for me. What? what? And Even if they didn't, right. Didn't who didn't vote for Westmore? Stop playing. <laughs> Michael, Michael's in Merlin. He wants to talk to his governor. Hello, Michael. Hello. Hello, Karen. Hello, Governor Moore. Hey, Michael. How you doing? I'm doing great. I know a few years back, uh, if you remember when you did the documentary, uh, the PBS documentary coming back. Yes. Uh, my, my son worked with you on, his name is Michael also. He worked with you. He was the only one that looked like you on that set. <laughs> but, I, uh, love on that set. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. I love it. How's he doing? Yeah. I'm doing fine. We met you guys at the library when uh, Carla Hayden was, was, was the, uh, over the library in Baltimore there. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, but my question, I am an educator in the art, fine arts educator in Maryland, and uh, I know you have a heavy heart for the education budget and education. I'm just wondering, what do you see as your vision as far as, you know, advancing the arts even more? I'm working with the uh, Maryland Arts Arts Council and uh, putting, you know, putting together some um, programs, you know, to, to um, help seniors in the arts and just to get some things out in the community. But what's your vision for, um, you know, for arts education? Yeah, I love your question, and 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 I love your family too, uh, and it's good to talk to you. Uh, you know, when we talk about things like STEM education, and I think all these these things are are very important in STEM education, uh, the science, technology, the engineering, and the mathematics. It also though is really important that it's not just STEM, that it's STEAM, and that we're throwing the arts in there as well. 
And so if you look at the budget that we've laid out, the budget that we've laid out actually calls for additional enhancements and in, in, in investments in, in science, technology, education, making sure we're doing adding things like computer programming and all these other things as languages. So for students to be able to get a better understanding and, and allow them to be able to participate in some of these growing industries. But we cannot do it to the detriment of our students being able to understand the arts, to be able to stand social sciences, be able to understand all the other skills, both hard skills and soft skills that are gonna help prepare them for the world and that makes lifelong learning a very real thing. And one of the beautiful things that we see about the arts as well is for the STEM technologies, these are technologies that are constantly evolving and growing and changing, where you have some students who frankly, you know, the, the things that they learn one year, by the time they finish their high school, by the time they finish their college, it's outdated because the technology has moved so fast. The beautiful thing about the arts, it's ever growing and it's everlasting. And so we need to be able to create, and we, and you've seen our budget, we invest in really kind of green pathways for people to be able to have that as a core focus for a lifelong learning, for a lifelong learning basis, uh, in addition to all the other educational supports that we have, have, have on board. Let me take one more call. I know you got to run, but uh, thank you, Michael and Michael Jr. Kevin and Marilyn, Kevin's and Marilyn. Hi, welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. Oh, thank you, Karen. Uh, another wonderful uh, and phenomenal show. Uh, good afternoon, Governor Moore. This is uh, Pastor Kevin Johnson at Celebration Church in Columbia. We're so Pastor proud of Johnson. you, sir. Congratulations. Pastor Johnson, good to talk to you. Yes, sir. Listen, um, Governor Moore, I wanted to let you know that uh, one of the things that I do here in the state, uh, I serve as the Faith Community Commissioner for Suicide Prevention. Uh, four years under our previous governor, and then he reappointed me for an additional four. The reason I wanted to bring that to your attention is um, I wanted you to share with us um, some of the things that you may be already thinking about or may be already executing and implementing as it relates to heightening the level of awareness as it relates to suicide in our state. Any, any thoughts on that, sir? A lot of thoughts. And first, God bless you, and thank you for your work on this. Uh, you know, we this issue is a statewide issue. It is not an urban. It's not a rural. And we're watching it even younger than people understand and anticipate. It's part of the reason why in our budget, you know, we've uh, we've allocated uh, over five and a half million dollars going towards 988, which is the mental health suicide prevention line. And I've said, as long as I'm governor, we are going to make sure that it's fully funded. Uh, we've also made historic investments in mental health supports. Uh, you know, we can underestimate the type of trauma and the type of challenge that our students have been facing and continue to face. And so our ability to add a trauma-informed lens and do everything that we are doing on the government, our ability to make sure that we are supporting not just educate, not just students, but also educators, not just community members, but first responders, that the mental health challenges that we are seeing throughout our society are real and that the budget that we have reflects the sincerity and the seriousness that we're taking it. Um, it also includes substance abuse because we have to take a different type of uh, approach to substance abuse disorders as well, because the challenge we've had is that for mental health and for substance abuse disorders, the challenge, the, the, the thing that we've done as a society, we've criminalized it. We are going to take a different approach in our administration. And frankly, the work that we're doing with the faith community on this is gonna be crucial on that as well and with you. And so it's, a, it's an honor to talk to you and, and an honor to have you as a partner in this work too. Uh, please, you have to come back. I know you gotta run. Uh, and. There's so much here to do. We are so incredibly proud, but pride cannot 
supersede the demands and the accountability. So we're going to hold you accountable to everything, Wes. Watunde, which means what? It means revenge will not be sought. Revenge will not be sought. Yes, uh, Omari Moore, Governor Moore. Uh, so appreciate you. We're going to play a little bit of your state of the state before we leave, but please come back. Professor, you know I will. God bless you and thank you. Love you. All right, let's play a little Wes Moore and what he's got for the state of Maryland. We can be a state that rewards, that celebrates, that elevates a culture of service, and we must be. Let us serve. Let us serve together. The people who entrusted us with this solemn oath to put them before ourselves. It is an honor to stand before you. And it is an honor to serve beside you. God bless Maryland. And let's get to work, everybody. Thank you so much. Yes. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to The Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.